This is Sermons by the Park from Union Congregational Church in East Walpole, Massachusetts. I'm Pastor Aaron Shepherd, and I want to thank you for listening and taking the time to hear the message and the good news of Jesus Christ that we have to offer here at Union. Our current sermon series is called Courageous because faith in Jesus is not simply about what we believe, but about putting those beliefs into action. And that takes courage. Here's this week's message. First scripture reading is from Psalm 73, 1 to 6, and 13 to 18. Truly God is good to the upright, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pain. Their bodies are sound and slick. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not plagued like other people. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. All in vain, I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long, I have been plagued and am punished every morning. If I had said, I will talk in this way, I would have been untrue to the circle of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to be me a worrisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I perceived their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. May God add a blessing to the reading and hearing of this word. Well, I think the key word in that first reading is almost. It says at the beginning, I had almost stumbled. Today we are going to hear God's word for us, and I think that word hinges on almost, about how close we can come to stumbling, and yet the grace of God to keep us from falling when we can perceive the end, perceive the goals, perceive the intentions of God for us. Our second scripture reading today comes to us from Mark's gospel in the 10th chapter, verses 46 through 52. Let's continue to listen for God's word for us here today. Then they came to Jericho, and Jesus and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho. Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout and say, Jesus, son of David, Have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. 
And Jesus stood still. He said, call him here. And so they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And so throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, my teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me now in a moment of prayer? Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we ask that you would send your spirit in this place, that you would speak now through your word as it has been read and as it will be proclaimed, so that your people may hear the plans you have for us. Give me clarity and vitality of speech that your word may come alive in our hearing, and may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. His name was Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus. It literally means son of Timaeus. Today we'd call him Timaeus Jr. We'd call him TJ. His name is attached to this miraculous story in Mark's Gospel. And scholars speculate that's because T.J. was familiar to the audience of Mark's original gospel. Mark's gospel is the earliest of the four accounts that was written. It was probably written within the lifespan of maybe some of the youngest disciples before they had passed away. And probably was written for a church that had been started by either those one of the twelve disciples or, or some who were nearby to those disciples. Maybe even... Bartimaeus himself. And so the name is included here uh, to, to show that Jesus is not just a healer of the blind, as uh, is so often attributed to him. Rather, in Mark's gospel, we see that Jesus heals a blind man, and not just any blind man. You know, TJ. We all know him. We all love him. Can't you just see him there? the beginning of this story. He's sitting by an old, dusty road. He's got his cloak draped over him. It's really the only shelter he has. It's, it's almost like a tent for him. As a beggar, he would have kept all of the money that he would have begged off passersby in that cloak. But of course, it's not a pretty picture. He's there with his hand out, his eyes unseeing. He maybe didn't even look up from beneath his cloak. He may not have been able to see, but he could hear, could smell. He knew, at least to some extent, what was going on around him. This road is a familiar one. It's actually the road from the parable of the Good Samaritan, that Jericho road. The text tells us that Jesus had come to Jericho from Galilee. That means he would have come to Jericho from the north. It said then he was going out from Jericho. Well, he was on his way to Jerusalem, to the south. And there was only one road that went from 
Jericho to Jerusalem. And that is the road that passed through what we know from Psalm 23 as the valley of the shadow of death. This is the road that goes through the Wadi Kelt, renowned for robbers and danger. But at the same time, in Jesus' time, the ancient city of Jericho had been transformed into a kind of uh, summer getaway, a vacation spot for the wealthy and elite from imperial-occupied Judea. The Romans and the Herodians, they would have come down the Jericho Road. Jericho was like Palm Springs or like West Palm Beach. It was the place where the rich and famous went to cool off and enjoy themselves and get away from the burdens of the city. It was like a, going there was like spending a weekend on Martha's Vineyard. And so Bartimaeus is sitting there on that same road. And all day long he hears the sound of carriage wheels going to and fro. He hears fancy-shoed feet passing by. He can smell the expensive perfumes and oils that interrupt the usual smell, which is himself, more than likely. Can you hear what he hears? Can you smell it? Can you feel what he would have felt as the powerful and the wealthy passed him by? I think think he would have had a bitter taste in his mouth a lot of the time. It hadn't always been like that for him. When Jesus asks Bartimaeus what he wants him to do for him, Bartimaeus says that what he wants is to regain his sight. And from this, we can understand that he was not born blind. He had been able to see at some time. He had probably had some life before this life of begging and blindness. He had known otherwise. But now he spends his days in darkness, sitting by the side of the road, no doubt often thinking about the good old days. He must have thought a bit nostalgically about that time, but then the reality would have always crept right back in. He always would have thought, no, those times are gone, and I'm stuck here. We don't know if he was from Jericho. We don't know if maybe he was one of those rich and famous folks before his sight was taken from him. But either way, he is stuck in that spot on the side of Jericho, unable to go anywhere. Have you ever felt like that? Stuck like your best days are behind you? Like you can't see what's ahead of you? Like people are doing better than you? passing by in front of you, parading their success and their wealth. I can feel like that sometimes. I feel that way sometimes about the church, that the church's future is is murky, that its best days seem like it's behind us. I'm not sure exactly how the church goes forward without leaving behind something, something important that we need to hold on to, but I I don't really know what going forward looks like. I, I only know that there's no going back. But I think the thing that that keeps us stuck in that confusion is not necessarily the blindness alone, but that dangerous temptation of comparison. 
Bartimaeus was a stone's throw from paradise, but he couldn't have a part of it. The psalmist supplied us with the words for this feeling, this moment, this sense that Bartimaeus would have had. The psalmist wrote, I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no pain. Their bodies are sound and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not plagued like other people. Therefore, pride is their necklace, but violence covers them like a garment. Violence covers them like a garment. Maybe injustice covers them like a garment. Inequality covers them like a garment. Uncaring covers them like a garment. And I was envious, the psalmist admits. I was bitter. I had done everything right. I had kept my heart's Clean, I had washed my hands in innocence, the psalmist says. But everything had gone wrong. I was pricked in the heart, a verse says. But they were always at ease, increasing their riches. If you can't identify with that bitter feeling, then you've probably never watched uh, Desperate House, or the, the Real Housewives shows. These shows about these people who have all the money in the world and yet seem to still find a way to make themselves miserable. If you've ever seen the rich gallivanting in their wealth, if you've ever seen people uh, defrauding others or seeking immunity from the rule of law that's supposed to apply equally to all, then you have a sense of the indignation that one might feel when the wicked prosper. And I, who am righteous, I, who am innocent, I, who at least am just trying to keep my nose clean, I cannot prosper. You don't have to stretch the imagination too far to understand Bartimaeus' feeling sitting there beside the road. How tempting it is to allow the parade of images of fame and success and also of infamy and villainy to be the thing that we, we attach our focus to. But when we do that, it, it clouds our vision with bitterness Helen Keller, who was born blind and deaf, once wrote that, I have walked with people whose eyes are full of light, but who see nothing in sea or sky, nothing in city streets, nothing in books. It were far better to sail forever in the night of blindness with sense and feeling and mind than to be content with the mere act of seeing. The only lightless dark is the night of darkness in ignorance and insensibility. When we feel that envy and that bitterness, when we fail to see because we are too busy comparing, what do we do with that? Well, the psalmist is pondering that question in Psalm 73. What do I do when I feel like I've missed out on the blessings that God promised? What do I do when I feel... Like God is failing to work justice in the world. When I thought about this, the psalmist says, it was a wearisome task. Hopelessness is indeed wearying. It is very tiring to constantly feel like you are missing out and that there is no way forward. But remember that word. 
almost. I almost stumbled. I almost slipped. The next verse says, When I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task, until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I perceived the end. Hopelessness and fear of missing out and envy, these are heavy and embittering burdens that we can bear. If only there were a place where we could go, where we could put down the burdens that weigh us down. If only there were someone who offered to relieve us of the yoke of envy and bitterness, of visionlessness, of hopelessness. If only there were such a place and such a person. But can't you see him coming. Can't you see him coming in the crowd? The crowd of privileged people fawning over the newest celebrity come to town. In the middle of the crowd, his disciples are there trying to keep the crowd back because Jesus is on his way. Jesus is on a mission. Jesus has a plan. He is going up to Jerusalem. He's going up to Jerusalem to cause holy heck for the religious authorities, the people in power there. He is going there to prove that one does not overcome the powers of this world through power and strength and violence, but through mercy and humility, again, by overcoming the night of ignorance and insensibility with wonder and empathy and care. Bartimaeus couldn't see all that, but he heard the commotion. He heard the commotion of the crowd coming by, and he leaned over to one of his beggar buddies, and he said, what what is going on out here? Is it Herod? Is it Pilate? Is it one of the famous priests and Levites that happened to traverse this road? Who is it? And his friend leans over and says, no, I I think that's Jesus, you know, the Nazarene. Perhaps his friend scoffed a bit at this. At, as, at the time, there was a saying, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Perhaps it was an amusing sight to the beggars alongside the road to see all those privileged, elite, wealthy people all fawning over this Nazarene, this outsider. But there was something in Bartimaeus' spirit that stirred when he heard that name, Jesus. There was a vision sparked in his soul of who this actually was. Because Bartimaeus was able to perceive that this was not just Jesus the Nazarene, this is Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one of God. Just as Jesus had asked Peter, who do you think that I am? Peter said to him, you are the Christ, the Messiah. Bartimaeus seems to understand that intuitively, already out of nowhere. How is that possible? How is it possible that he knew that this Jesus was no ordinary healer, no ordinary celebrity, that he was something more than that? All the bitterness of all of those years must have flashed through Bartimaeus' mind in that moment. But then he, like the psalmist, understood the end of all these things. You see, because he recognized that he was in the presence of the living God. He had come into the sanctuary of God just by his proximity to this person that was moving down the road. It was clear to Bartimaeus 
That in fact, all of these folks who were falling all over themselves to be with Jesus, they were the ones who were far from him. And that he, though far in distance, was close at hand to the power of God. And so he sang out. He sang out that song, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And, I, and I, I like to hear it as a song because I like to think that there was a certain rhythm to it. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Again and again and again he kept saying it. And the people in the crowd, they were there because they wanted some, some juicy quote or some choice bit of wisdom from this teacher, Jesus. They wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. They did not want to hear the guy in the back chanting out this cry for help. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. But he could not be contained. And at the sound of that song, the sun stood still. There are only two times in the Bible where the sun stands still. The first is in the Old Testament in the book of Joshua, where Joshua is leading the Israelite army in a battle against the Amorites. The Israelites had marched all night. They had come upon the Amorites early in the morning and surprised them. And the Amorites, naturally, had retreated. Caught by surprise, they began to run from the field. And the Israelites chased them all day long. But then the sun was starting to go down. And they were worried that if night fell, the Amorites would get away, that their battle would be incomplete, that their mission would be unfulfilled. And so Joshua says to the Lord, O sun, stand still over Gibeon. O moon, stand still over the valley of Agilon. And at that word, the sun did in fact stand still so that the Israelites could complete what they had started. And Joshua 10, 14, it says, There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a man. And with all due respect to the book of Joshua, There has, in fact, been a day since. There has been a day when the Lord listened to a man because the son stood still and said, bring him to me. The disciples, they went over to Bartimaeus. They said to him, take heart. The Lord is calling you. The Lord has heard you. The Lord has chosen you. In the old King James verse, uh, it says, be of good cheer. It almost reminds me of that moment on The Price is Right when they would announce the next contestant. And everyone in the crowd would would go crazy and the camera would be flying around until they found the person who was was called who would come running down the stairs. They're so excited to get the chance to bid on a a vacation to Concord, New Hampshire or, or a washing machine or a brand new car. And, of course, you know that in the studio at that moment, there are all the signs above that say, applause, 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 right? Cheer up, cheer up. Let's, let's, let's praise this person for having this opportunity. Let's have some enthusiasm. But interestingly, this week I went and I got out my big Greek lexicon, and I looked at this verse, and, and the very first word of the verse is tharse in Greek. And the In the lexicon, the first meaning of the word tharse is not cheer up. It is not take heart. It is, in fact, 
Be courageous. Have courage. The Greek word tharsis just means courage. That's what it means. And so, it really changes how you perceive that moment. I don't think the crowd was jumping up and down like Bartimaeus won the lottery or like he was the next contestant on, you know, The Price is Right. I think the crowd probably stopped moving and probably stood still and probably wondered what the heck was going on that the disciples were going over to the side of the road to this beggar. All of a sudden, all eyes were on Bartimaeus. You know, he couldn't see, but I'm sure he felt that everyone was looking at him. And in that moment, I imagine he probably felt even more paralyzed than he had before. It can be really hard to ask for help when you feel stuck. It can be really hard, especially when you feel like everyone is looking at you and can see all of your faults and failures way more clearly than they probably can. The thing is, Uh, Folks are often indeed ready to give their advice, but loath to lend a hand to those in need. But in this situation, not only do the disciples come to Bartimaeus, they don't just come with some bit of wisdom for him. They don't tell him to buck up. They say, be encouraged. Be courageous. Have some courage because the Lord is calling you. That's the thing about courage is that it doesn't just come from no place and it doesn't just go in no direction. We've talked about how courage is a kind of disposition, a habit, a practice that we built so that when the moment comes, we can do the courageous thing. In my uh, class this week, I was just teaching uh, students about virtues. I was teaching them about courage, and I, I reminded them of the teaching of Aristotle that that virtues are not uh, virtues are what Aristotle called a mean condition, mean in the mathematical sense, as in the the middle of two points between an excess and a deficiency. A deficiency of courage, we know well. That's a coward. A coward is deficiently courageous. Excessive courage is foolhardiness. It's the people who do foolish things without a thought for their own life or their own purpose. They just are running in 800 directions at the same time. We know these sorts of folks. But courage, courage is about pushing forward with an intention and a purpose when the moment calls for it, when it calls for more from you than you feel like you're able to give. And in some ways, that's, that's just a, a, a sense, it's, it's a power that you have to have in yourself, a certain kind of discipline that you have to cultivate. But the, but the thing is, is that it, uncoupled from an intention, from a plan, from a vision, it's really difficult to have courage. Unless you know the direction to move in, it's hard to be courageous. But the thing is here, what Bartimaeus hears, what TJ hears, is that the Lord is calling him, that the Lord has a purpose for him, that 
that God has sent Jesus to this moment and to this place on the Jericho Road, not for the sake of that crowd, but for his sake. And so he should be encouraged. And what does courage look like in action? Well, for Bartimaeus, it looks like throwing off his cloak and springing up and walking, probably running, to Jesus' feet. You know, again, the thing about that cloak is that's his only shelter. It contained all of the livelihood that he had. All of his possessions were in it. But he throws all of that off so that he can go unencumbered and exposed to Jesus. And the funny thing is, when when he gets to Jesus, Jesus says, what do you want from me? And I'm sure everyone around him in the crowd was thinking, isn't it obvious He, want, he doesn't want to be blind anymore. He wants to be rich like us. What, of course that's what he wants, right? Uh, again, the disciples were probably wondering amongst themselves, doesn't Jesus know what he wants? I think he did. I think Jesus knew what it was that Bartimaeus was going to ask him. But I think Jesus also knew that it was important for Bartimaeus to say it. That Bartimaeus needed to say it more than Jesus needed to Because I think the first step to getting out of that place of feeling stuck in bitterness and envy and hopelessness, the first place, the first step out of that is to acknowledge both our deep needs, our deep imperfections, but also our deep hopes. The thing we really want, the thing we're really searching after. And I'm not talking about the... the, the things that are sort of paraded in front of us as the things we're supposed to want, you know, the, the dream vacation you see on Instagram or the big house on Zillow or, or the job that is going to be the one that takes you to the place where you'll finally feel fulfilled. That's not the hope that, that Jesus wants to hear. Jesus wants to hear what he really wants, what Bartimaeus really wants him to do for him. And it takes courage. It takes courage to speak that hope and acknowledge that need boldly. It takes a certain kind of self-possession. And again, the psalmist in Psalm 73 reminds us that that is not an accident, that that does not come from nowhere. The psalmist says, It is good for me to be near God. I have made the Lord my refuge. And in doing that, in being close to God, the psalmist has the boldness to admit, I almost stumbled. I almost thought the wicked would prosper, and maybe I should just be wicked like them. But when I came into your presence, I recognized that in the end, the righteous shall prosper, and justice shall flow down like a mighty river. If you in your own life have come into the nearness to the presence of God, if you have known Jesus well and confessed your faults and acknowledged your hopes and and understood God's gracious embrace of all of that, that you are in a great place to be an encourager of other people. But note that the encouragement to be courageous doesn't come to Bartimaeus while he's in the middle of the crowd. The disciples have to go to him 
to convey that message. They have to go to the side of the road and find the one crying out to bring him near. I don't know what the future of the church holds, but I really hope that we can unstick ourselves enough to be able to go to those who need encouragement and support and meet them with the good news of the gospel and a hand to help them up and take them to where they need to be. Having had not only his sight, but his vision restored, Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus became a disciple too. He followed along the way with Jesus. He went with him to Jerusalem. He was with him when he turned the tables in the temple. He was with him when he went to the cross. He was with the disciples when Jesus was raised. And maybe he continued to be with the church after that, to tell his story again and again and again, so that people who he met who were stuck in places of poverty or oppression or need would know that the Lord is calling them. He kept following Jesus. He kept encouraging. So much so that even after his life came to an end, we still know his name. Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. Timaeus Jr., TJ for short. He's still with us, encouraging us here today. Let us be encouragers with him too. Amen. Thank you for listening. I hope that this week's message has been a blessing to you. It has been a blessing to share it with you. To learn more about Union, you can visit our website, churchbythepark.org, or you can follow us on social media by looking for at Church by the Park. Our theme music is by Anno Domini Beats. Until next time, may God's grace and peace.